Tonight we're going to continue Jesus' teaching, and we're in a part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're in a part where he's breaking down the law, where he says, you have heard it said long ago, but I say to you. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about anger and murder. And tonight, we're going to talk about lust. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about marriage. I'm calling the title of this message tonight, The Spirituality of Sex. Let's read the words of Jesus as we continue studying this Sermon on the Mount. This is in Matthew 5, 27 to 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole, your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I said it twice. <laughs> It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And we're going to skip ahead to Matthew 19 for, I don't think I have the text up there for you. But it says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. A man named C.S. Lewis once said that chastity is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues. There's no getting away from it. The old Christian rule is either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or total abstinence. Now, this is so difficult and so contrary to our instincts that obviously either Christianity is wrong or our sexual instinct as it is now, has gone wrong. Lewis actually took a bunch of time as an atheist, and he stayed in that spot because of this. He went on to become one of the greatest, you know, writers of children's literature and a author who wrote incredible defenses of the Christian faith, but he took a long time sitting there and saying, listen, Christianity cannot be true. 
because of what I just read. And what I want to say tonight is either what Jesus has to teach is true and helpful and actually sanity, or it's not. Lewis said that in 1952. It was true then. And 66 years later, I want to say that the culture around us has pretty much mostly come down on the side that, yep, our instincts are right and Christianity must be wrong. This is the issue. You know, I don't know if you ever heard of this or thought about this in your own life. What are the hang-ups for someone to come into a relationship with God and be a part of the church? This is it. Jesus is teaching here. This is it. Some say that sex is like hunger, and when you're hungry, what do you do? Get a burger. All right, it's a need, so you meet it. So last year, there's this pastor in New York named Tim Keller, and he, was, he, he started a church in 1989 with a handful of folks, and it's grown to about 5,000 people. And they also planted a, a couple hundred churches in the boroughs, in the five boroughs of New York, and they've influenced, and I, what, I, what I mean by planted, I mean they helped fund, they put money out, they raised up leaders, they trained, they sent people. But they've also influenced thousands of church plants, including this one here in Gloucester City. And Tim Keller made his name as somebody who, like C.S. Lewis, would be talking to folks and be in the conversation with folks who typically were deeply skeptical about religion. And so these churches were in context and among people who typically didn't really come up church folks. You hear what I'm saying? They embraced the culture. Sought to speak into the culture instead of retreating from the culture and sort of, you know, just saying the world is bad, let's huddle up together, <laughs> right? Like, no, we want to speak into the lostness of our society, you know? We want to be involved. Well, in this interview from last year, somebody asked him, what is the biggest hang-up to being a Christian? And this is what he said even though he had spent decades in Manhattan talking to countless people, he said it's not historic, it's not the historic violence of the church. It's not, you know, that the church was involved in things like the Crusades and all these things. It's not the personal hurt that they had, right? Because a lot of times people go to church and something happens and there's wounds there. It wasn't that. It's not objections from science. It's not even greed, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but if you're a day trader on Wall Street, greed is a big part of your life. But he said the number one hang-up wasn't even greed. But he said if you sit down with somebody and just ask them, 
Who have you been sleeping with? That was the biggest hang-up in their life. Not just people outside the church, but people inside the church. Outside the church, it's like, you know, hookup culture, whatever, just be, you know, a total embracing of it, right? This is what we're doing. We're just being happy. It's normal. It's healthy. Get over it. Inside the church, there's this look of shame like, hey, you asked me who I'm sleeping with. How did you know, pastor? And as somebody that's worked with high school kids, middle school kids, college students, done a lot of ministry with college students, the ones who come to fellowship, the ones who carry their Bibles around, the ones who are trying to live this life, you ask this question, it's like, what did the Holy Spirit tell you? (laughs) How did you know? Let me make this real and not just out there. Your own history with sex is a huge source of your doubt and your anemia. I was born anemic. Do you know what that is? I didn't have enough iron in my blood. And I remember the first time I was in choir um, in elementary school and I kind of had my legs locked and the spotlight was on and I was singing before I hit puberty and got this kind of junky voice that I got now. I had a pretty good voice. And uh, I fainted. You know, I just fell on the whole crowd forward, boom. <laughs> and, and several times in my life, I remember one time I was teaching in a room in Africa and there's like 30 kids in a room, like a, like a tenth the size of this room and we're all, there's a tin roof and the sun, the African sun is beating down and I don't even remember fainting, but I remember waking up in another mud floor, tin roof, mud wall room by myself with an open can of Coke. I just, like, it was like, I went to sleep and woke up in another room. Yep. I have fallen from both physical anemia and spiritual anemia. Hear what I'm saying? What do we do as a culture, let alone as followers of Jesus? Do we hear these words? If you even look at a man, if you even look at a woman, you have committed adultery in your heart. I'll tell you what we're doing here in Gloucester. The middle school has 800 kids. That that new school has 800 kids. And they sent home, every single kid, a laptop. Nine-year-old Dell, but they still sent home, <laughs> sent home a laptop. And while they're at school, it's all good and all. They have um, proactive steps to keep the kids uh, focused on what they're supposed to do, and they block a bunch of stuff so they can't message each other. Though kids try to get around it, but then they keep, you know, trying to fight that, right? But as soon as they go home, they take those computers, and if they can get on the Wi-Fi somewhere. They can look at whatever they want. My son is nine years old with a computer. Would you drop your nine-year-old child in downtown Philly? 
Now, there's a lot of cool things in Philly. They could walk into the Franklin Institute. There's a whole lot of good things they could learn and see. And there's a whole bunch of good stuff, right? It's the same. It's the same online. But there's a lot of streets you don't want your kid at. There's a lot of stuff they'll hear and see. Now, I, now you say, like, Pastor, come on, it's different because, you know, there's physical danger. But what Jesus is saying here, what I'm saying to you tonight, is that it's not just the physical dangers that we have to care about, but we have to protect and care about the emotional and spiritual and psychological dangers to our own kids. And when you just give a kid a phone, give a kid a laptop, and let them be on it for hours, what you're doing, it's like you're dropping them off in the middle of nowhere, and you're expecting them to be mature enough to navigate all that. You don't think that all their friends are sending them all kinds of stuff? So we have a rule in our house, even when you're not home and you're on the block, and some friends are like, hey, come watch me play this game. Come do this thing on my phone. No, you ask your mom and dad. What are we talking about? You know, we're talking about looking. He says, if anyone looks. Talking about pornography in part, right? Of course, we're talking about hookup culture. We're talking about a lot of things. But it hurts our kids it hurts teens. Statistics show, and I'm going to give you some statistics, and you can talk to me afterwards if you want the source of these, okay? But statistics shows that kids who use pornography regularly are twice, twice as likely to get pregnant. It hurts your marriage. Those people who identify themselves as addicted to pornography, they are 40% likely to get a divorce than those who don't. Hurts your job, I've known people like this. When it follows you to work, 33% likely to lose your job. Going back to that C.S. Lewis quote, are our instincts really working for us? I mean, have we gone off the rails? Have we gone off the rails with this? Have we become utterly desensitized? Have we become, have our conscience been like seared with a hot iron? One of the articles from New Sta uh, um, NewStatesman.com, where I got some of these stats, argued the opposite. They, they, argued, they were giving me these, these same information, but th what they were trying to say was, look at this. Without this economic engine of pornography, without that, you don't have the internet. So it's 30% of all traffic. It's a $10 billion industry. It's bigger than basketball, football, and, um, yeah, and hockey combined. So when people are making bank, it's going to be out there. Jesus says in this text, it isn't just, it's not just looking at a man or a woman or, or going beyond that and hooking up and, and all of this stuff, um, adultery, all of this. 
saying it's not just inviting sin. It's not just inviting something that you're going to feel guilty about. It's actually inviting disaster in your life. That's why he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's not saying literally cut your eye out, cut your hand off. But he's saying you need to be in mortal life or death conflict with the things that are going to wreck your life, make you lose your job, make you lose the one you love. It'll wreck your life now and it'll wreck your life forever without the grace of God. Last week we talked about anger. And I said you cannot deposit what you haven't withdrawn. Right? And I talked about how I go to the ATM and I hit the number in and I'm getting some money out and it prints out your receipt, right? And it's always like magic what the number says. Like I'm not super on top of how much money I have at all times. So I look at that thing, I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, or the next day I look at it and I'm like, no, that's not right. We just got paid, what's going on, (laughs) right? But this is the thing. A lot of us have had really difficult deposits, really bad deposits. And when you've had bad deposits in your life, it's hard to withdraw good things. So when I was seven years old, I started being molested by my cousins. That was a bad deposit. I'll never forget where I was or how it happened. And a part of me broke, right? And like most people who are abused and harmed, you get harmed by somebody, and then for some reason you keep reenacting that harm on yourself. If I grew up nowadays, it would have happened way quicker. But when I grew up, there wasn't like the internet like it is today, but I still found a way to become addicted to pornography. You cannot withdraw what you haven't had deposited. Marriage helped, but it didn't fix me all the way. Counseling helped. Prayer helped. Discipline helped. But at the end of the day, I had to be radical. I had to sit there and at the end of the day, do things like this, like cut my eye out, cut off my hand, right? So we just had to do things where it's like whatever I'm on, my phone, my computer, whatever, for years it's been like this. And it's like this to this day, whatever I see, my own wife sees, my best friend see in a report. Because I'm never going back to that daily pile of trash. I don't want to lose my kids or my wife. Or any of that. 
When you invite sin into your life, you are inviting disaster. You need to be radical. There needs to be no compromise. You invite disaster or invite Jesus to be in control. Now, chastity has always been radical. And maybe in the past for a certain group of people, right, it was more enforced. But we like think of this sort of romantically. But in reality, it was like a lot of pressure, particularly on women who were wealthy. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is this message has always been radical. It has always been, hey, have your fun and settle down. Maybe that was some of our old morality, right? But this message has always been incredibly radical and been sort of out there. What Jesus is teaching here is that he has always has always gone against the grain, gone against our instincts, gone against the nature, right? And what if, what if we were able to admit that we are born sick, that we were born in sin? The problem is we are all born to think me, 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 right? From the moment we are born, once we find out that something feels good, we, want, we get addicted to it. We want more of that. It could be approval, like, like me, like me, like me. It could be love, love me, love me, right? It's all of these things. Every single one of us is this way. And it's so interesting, too, like, we are certainly in a different spot than 1962, right? We're certainly a different spot culturally. Now, I'm enough of like a history nerd to realize that we are nowhere near the most relativistic, immoral generation since Jesus. You know, you, 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 there's, history's got an interesting, funny way of going up and down, up and down, up and down. And we're nowhere near like the worst. You know, people say that they just, they just aren't looking back far enough. But it is interesting that our generation is, when we look back to living memory for the last few generations, we're one of the fattest generations, one of the most in-debt generations, one of the most depressed generations in a really long time. Right? Fat, in debt, depressed, unhappy. Anyone who knows anything about this, you've experienced this, right? Good from God gifts, including, including sex, is when you make it all about the one that you're close with, right? When it's all about the other. And it's not me, 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 me. That's a recipe for Really bad love, right? Sex is like, a, is like nuclear power. What do I mean? What I'm saying here is that, have you ever thought about this? Nuclear power is crazy. You can have a plant 50 miles away, and it can be t- 
turning the lights on and keeping the lights on for miles and miles and miles. It's incredible. Yet that same power, if you dropped it like a bomb on Philadelphia, it leaves carnage, wreckage, disaster. And what I want to say is that sex is spiritual. It's not just an itch that you scratch, a hunger that you feed. But you were made for way more than that. And what happens is when it goes wrong, when it goes wrong, it is a disaster. When it goes wrong, it causes all kinds of damage in your life. But when it's going right, it's a beautiful thing. I remember when we lived in Africa, we were so broke, so cut off from other people that like we didn't have running water in our house for nine months straight. We'd go down to the river and have to fill up water in trash cans. And we'd have trash cans sitting in our kitchen, right? And in our bathroom. I remember you just things were different. And I remember we would have arguments over things like there'd be a cup, a glass bottle of Coke. You come home and be like, you drank all that? What's wrong with you? You should have drank half of that because we're not going to get another one for a while. <laughs> what am I trying to say? That when, you know, when sex is good, even when you are broke as a ridiculous joke, there is a strengthening in a relationship. There is a beautiful strengthening in a relationship where it doesn't matter what's happening around the world. That's what it was made for. It was made to strengthen those relationships. But so many of us have experienced so many different things than that. <laughs> Something that was meant to strengthen us and help us power through hard times and unify us and make us one flesh has become something that has caused all kinds of problems in our lives. So as we come towards the end, I'm going to ask us, how do we treat those who, like us, are broken, confused, have baggage? Well, there's two, there's two extremes here. There's the one, especially if you grew up in the church, here's what's not true. Here's what's not true. Sometimes in an effort to sort of scare kids, you hear a bunch of stuff that ain't true. And you'll hear stuff like, and, and I'm, I'm okay with my son being here. You know what I mean? I, I'm totally okay with it. I heard stuff like this. Hey, listen, if you wait until you're married, then that first night is going to be the best thing ever. And anyone who's older and has had sex knows it gets better after you've learned how to do it for a really long time, right? So that's like a total lie. But it's like something that we just tell them, right? Just like, oh, it's, you're just going to ruin it. You're going to ruin it for that, you know? Here's another thing that we sort of tell people. We tell them, like, every person that you've ever been with or the person that you marry has ever been with is like a ghost around them. And when you're with them, you're with all the other people they were around. Where is forgiveness in that? Where's the gospel in that? 
Who will live up to that? We have to remember that the kingdom of God is a kingdom that reigns in our hearts. Amen? It reigns in our hearts. So we cannot take this as a law and a weapon to beat up ourselves or to beat up other people. This is a radical calling for you who want to be in a relationship with Jesus. So if you got a cousin, you got a brother, you got a son, they, don't, they ignore Jesus' teaching on this. They do not have this relationship. They are having sex, and it's not in a marriage between a man and a woman. What do you do? You love them and you support them. We'll get to it. Jesus is going to talk about judging. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get to it. But if you're going to follow Jesus, we do not get to say in heaven as it is in Gloucester. We don't get to reverse it. We don't get to shove things we want in Jesus' mouth. We, we, and this isn't just like seven lines that I read to you this morning. It is the teaching of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. All of us fail in some way. Even if you did all the right things, as soon as Jesus says, if you ever looked at someone, you sinned, well, we are all on the same field. We're all moral failures. And guess what? Jesus says, I came for sinners. I eat and I drink with sinners, with prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus is close to those who are blind, broken, who are struggling. And just like you failed and will fail in other areas of your life, last couple weeks ago we talked about anger, guess what? You have probably have experienced and will experience failures in this part of your life. The way this sermon started is true. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the mourning. Blessed are the hungry. Jesus died for those who know they are broken who come to him to be made whole. So we have to walk this line of understanding God's forgiveness, but like I said before, protecting ourselves, protecting our kids, it all comes together. We don't get to separate these things. It all comes together. You gotta do what you gotta do. Cut off your hand, cut out your eye. You hear what I'm saying? If this has ruined your life, this is why you come to church. I hope that what I've shared with you tonight will open up the room a bit and you will be able to share with somebody something going on in your life. That we would be able to walk in the light together. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, I pray that we believe there is hope um, hope for us, even who have experienced brokenness, have had things happen to us that we didn't ask for or did things that we're ashamed of. Lord, we pray that we would not believe in the, the crazy stuff that we sometimes say to each other to scare each other <laughs> into obedience but I pray father we would believe the scary stuff you said 
and that we would recognize our sin, that we wouldn't invite hell into our lives now, let it, we wouldn't let it spill out to others. Lord, we pray, Father, that it wouldn't be a cry out for hell to break out, but for your heaven to break in to our lives. I pray for healing for every single person in this room. Pray for those who are young, kind of barely understand what I'm talking about. I pray, Father, it would be something that they can grab a hold of. Lord, we would be a place that is safe to grow up and that our kids would have a better shot at things than we ever had. That's what we pray. Amen.